0: together, and there are going to be a few times I ask you this morning uh, to turn to a couple of different places in the Bible, so um, so be ready uh, with that. My name is Jared Manning. Um, if you weren't here earlier, uh, I am one of the pastors here at Grace Bible, and um, our lead teaching pastor, Chad Poe, is out of town this weekend um, preaching somewhere else in the country it's hard for me to keep track. Um and uh he's been in West Virginia and Arkansas this week. So, um special blessings upon him. Um Uh, We're going to be in Joshua 3. We are in a series in the book of Joshua, talking about the faithful God um, in a fallen world. And so uh, I want to read through the text together this morning. It's it's a long passage. We're going to do the whole chapter. Um, It will be on the screens as I read or um, look with me in your Bible. Uh, Let's go there together now. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about two thousand cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before." And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergeshites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood up and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarephan. And those flowing down toward the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Let's pray together. Father. As we approach your word this morning. We ask that what we have not you would give us What we know not, you would teach us, and what we are not, you would make us, by your spirit, through your word, in Christ's name, amen. So I think everybody in the room this morning has probably been a child. We don't have any weird ones that were born at the age of 30, right? Uh, everyone has been a kid and probably experienced Christmas. Um, and Christmas Eve night and all the anticipation that comes with the Christmas season. Um, as Christians, we celebrate Advent. And each Sunday of Advent, we look forward to the coming of the Christ child. And there's this, there's this anticipation that builds all through the Christmas season. People begin uh, putting up their Christmas trees and lights around their house. And they hang decorations there are parties that happen. And for some of you, you put up that Christmas tree in October. And other people who are normal wait till December. Um, or Thanksgiving weekend. That's, that's appropriate. Um, we love the Christmas season. And many love the anticipation of it. Um, people I talk to all the time love putting up Christmas decorations. They like for their house to feel differently during that season. And so much of it is this waiting. The day is coming. We've bought gifts for people that we love. We're ready to give those. We're excited to sit around together as a family and talk about the story of Christ coming as a child. But for a little kid, Christmas Eve is probably the hardest night of all the year to go to sleep. And the only time that your child's gonna wanna wake up at 4 a.m. and come knock on your door and tell you, hey, hey, it's time. I remember being that kid, laying in bed. We had put out cookies and milk for Santa Claus and we were ready, right? If you leave him the good stuff, he'll leave you the good stuff. That was my thought. Um, and and so, so you're laying in bed and it's so hard to go to sleep and finally you pass out from exhaustion and then your eyes open and it's still dark outside but it is technically December 25th and Santa should have come And we weren't allowed to go in the living room without mom and dad. And and so you go and you're like, should I knock on their door? Should I walk in there? Am I going to get in trouble? Are all those presents going to go away? What's happening? And you start to make this deal with yourself as to whether you should should interrupt their sleep right now. Um, But you do because you've anticipated this day for a long time. Since last year, you've been waiting for this Christmas. And everybody gets up, and, and you start the festivities of opening the gifts, and there's joy and excitement over what they've been given. That, that is the, the sense that you can feel from the nation of Israel as we look at Joshua 3. The nation of Israel was promised a long time ago that they would have a land that God was going to give them, and they would get to dwell in that land forever. And God's king would reign over that land forever. But the, Israel, uh, the Israelite people have been through a long period of waiting. And here, as we approach Joshua 3, we read in verse 2, At the end of three days... The officers went through the camp and commanded the people. Now, this three days, if you'll remember, in the previous chapter that we talked about last week, Israel had sent in spies, two two spies to look on Canaan and and figure out if they were going to be able to defeat these people. And they were gone for three days, hidden in the mountains. And then they come and tell Joshua, "We, we can take this place. And so, at the end of these three days, that's what we're talking about here in 2, after the spies have been sent out, Israel begins to move. They have been camped out near the Jordan um, at Shittim, which actually means Achaia trees, a grove of Achaia trees, where they've been staying here in the desert And you can feel the excitement of these people. They've been camped out in tents, waiting on the spies to come back and tell them whether or not they can go in and possess the land that God has been promising them. And Joshua says, now's the time. And you can just imagine the excitement that they feel. God has promised us this. We've wandered in the wilderness. We were in Egypt for 400 years. We've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And now we're about to cross over the Jordan River and take the land that God has promised. God is about to fulfill a promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is about to lead them into a land where the scripture tells us they're going to serve and worship God in fear and holiness all their days. We see this promise in Genesis 15, beginning in verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, speaking of Egypt, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. We know from the story in the Exodus that they took a lot of the belongings, the gold of the Egyptians... They plundered the Egyptians as they were leaving. So just as God has promised, they would come out with great possessions. In verse 15, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so God promises Abraham this land that he's in, this will be yours, your children, and your children's children will inherit this land. And verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between pieces of animals that God had cut before this to make a covenant with Abram. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Kitkats, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. All these nations, you're going to take over. And this will be yours. And so ever since that promise was made, it's been passed down to the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they know that God has promised us this land. So Joshua comes out, and he says to them As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from the place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So Joshua comes out and gives instructions. This is, the first point is the preparation for the crossing. Here in verses 1 through 6. We're going to look at the preparation for the crossing of the Jordan. We're going to look at the purpose of the crossing of the Jordan. And then we're going to look at the promise of the crossing. So here in preparation, Joshua lays out what the Israelites are to do. He says, follow the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in in earlier um, books of the Bible, in Exodus, we learn what the Ark of the Covenant is. um, Not in Exodus, sorry. It's later, in Leviticus. Um, We have this Ark of the Covenant that was built to contain the tablets that Moses got on Sinai from God. It contains Aaron's scepter, Aaron who is a priest over Israel, This is where the presence of God would dwell in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. And so the Ark of the Covenant symbolizes the very presence of God with Israel. And so Joshua comes and tells the people, you're to follow the Ark of the Covenant. And then there's an interesting qualification that he makes. He was like, but not too close. He says, stay back 2,000 cubits, which is over half a mile away. He says, stay over half a mile away from this thing. Number one, this is the very presence of your God with you. Don't get close to it. Um, This is mirrored back in in Exodus when Moses goes up to the mountain of Sinai. God tells him to tell the people to stay back from the mountain or they're going to die. Because God's going to come with his presence onto the mountain. And he says, keep them back or they're going to die. And so... Joshua tells the people of Israel, keep a distance from the ark. And he makes this qualification because you don't know where you're going. So partly, he's saying, follow the ark from a distance so that you can see where it's going before you get there. You can follow it and see where it's headed. There's a lot of people. They're, they're, They're not like... Five people following a box through the wilderness, right? There's a whole nation of people um, following this ark. So it needs to get at a distance so they can see where they're going. Because they have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said this, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Exodus 19... Which I referred to a second ago, verse 9, the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Then Moses reported the people's words to the Lord and the Lord told Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day for on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base Anyone who touches the mountain will be put to death. And so already in preparation for the crossing of the Jordan, we see parallels to Moses on Mount of Sinai. And Moses would be the one who would lead the people across the Red Sea. So there's, there's a pattern that we're seeing God take his people through the water. But the question is Why? The question as we look at this story is, why is he doing this? The, the Jordan at this time, um, which we'll, we'll see in a little bit, is, is at flood stage. Normally, the Jordan River is like three feet deep in some places. You can wade across it. Um, and, and so if you've seen pictures of people being baptized in the Jordan River in Israel, um, even today, it doesn't look like this is not a hard river to cross. Um, but during this time of year, it was extremely hard to cross. It was at flood stage. It was really wide and really deep. And the waters were flowing really fast and swift. And so the Lord said to Joshua in verse 7, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel, that they may know that I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The first reason that God is going to do this miracle for them to cross the Jordan is so that the people of Israel will know that Joshua is God's appointed leader for Israel now. That he is with Joshua just as he was with Moses. Today I will begin to exalt you that they may know. And that points to the miracle that he's going to perform at the end of this chapter. The whole climax of 3 and 4 of Joshua, chapters 3 and 4, is this crossing of the Jordan, the miracle that God does in Jordan. And so God's saying, I'm going to perform this work so that they will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Secondly, it's to strengthen their faith. If you look at verse 10, Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. In other words, this miracle God's about to do is how you will know that when we cross the Jordan that you will be able to overtake the people in the land. It's to strengthen Israel's faith that he is with them and that he will give them victory over the enemies ahead. Notice he, he says, that you may know the living God is among you. That's, that's a pointed um, phrase that he is using to argue against all the dead gods that the Canaanites and all these people serve that are in the land currently. If you'll go with me to Psalm 115. Psalm 115 is one of my uh, favorite psalms. Um, if you know me very well, you know sarcasm is my love language. If you don't know me, you've been warned. Sarcasm is my love language. Um, and uh, when, when, when Ray, our first international student, moved into our house, um, Sarah was very concerned as to how he would take my sarcasm, and so I would say things, and then Sarah would violently laugh out loud to signal to him that I was joking. Um, thankfully, Ray Ray got sarcasm, um, and Ray was pretty sarcastic himself, and so it worked out great. Um, Psalm 115 is one of the most sarcastic type passages that we see in the Bible. And it kind of gets at what Joshua is saying here about these dead gods versus the living God that is among the nation of Israel. Uh, One fifteen. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Including holding back the water of a river or a sea. Verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. Here's the sarcasm. Eyes but do not see. They have ears but they don't hear. Noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. Feet but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust them. May the Lord give you increase and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. But the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. He is the living God. And through this miracle of folding back the waters of the Jordan, he's going to prove to his people that they will have victory because he is with them. Lastly, the reason he does this miracle at the Jordan is to scare Israel's enemies. It's to scare Israel's enemies. Um, Joshua 5 in verse 1 will be in Joshua 5 uh, in, in a few weeks. If, you know, if I can get back to Joshua, that would be grand. Um, Joshua 5, 1 says, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that phrase was mentioned a few times in Joshua 2, that their hearts melted their hearts melted in Joshua 2 because they had heard what the Lord God had done with the people of Israel at the Red Sea. Rahab refers to this story of God helping the nation of Israel across the Red Sea on dry land. And the people already feared this God of the Israelites who could do such a work. And now, he's about to double down and do it again. Right near their homeland. And so this was to cause fear in the hearts of all the nations living in the promised land. They had heard about this story from over 40 years ago about the Israelites coming through the Red Sea and dry ground but they hadn't witnessed this and now it's happening right outside their border that Israel is going to cross the Jordan River and God did it miraculously and so it's to scare Israel's enemies and lastly we look at the promise of the crossing so when the people set out from their tents verse 14 to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam in the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho, Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Now often when we read passages like this in the Old Testament, you may think to yourself, why all these difficult words? Why do we have to know every city and every people group and all these things? And the reason is because the original author, when Joshua was writing this, he's trying to show the people that these are events that actually happened. And so he gets very specific with places and times and the people that were around to witness it. If you're making a story up, you, you don't get specific. You don't talk about the place and time. You don't talk about all the people that were around. Because that can do damage to what you're saying. But the Bible over and over again tells us very specific details about the events taking place. Because the authors of the Bible are saying, This is God's word. This is true. This happened. And you can go verify it. The people reading this at this time would have known all of these places. They would have heard of all these people groups. And so Joshua is unafraid to tell them where this happened and who was there when it happened. The promise of this crossing is that God will remain faithful to his word. God will remain faithful. To his word. He does what he says he will do. God had promised Abraham that he would inherit this land. And after 400 years in Egypt and 40 years in the wilderness, I'm sure there were many Israelites going, We're dead out here in the wilderness. God has not kept his promise, God has not been faithful. But this miracle is going to show them that he remains faithful to what he says he will do. And he remains faithful to a people that have rejected him and sinned against him over and over and over again. If you're familiar with the Exodus story, after they cross the Red Sea, very quickly, the nation of Israel builds... An idol, a golden calf, to worship a golden calf because that's what they were worshiping back in Egypt. And they became disgruntled. Why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? Then God provides manna and they complain about that and so he gives them quail and over and over again they grumble against God yet God remains faithful. If you read through the book of Judges just following this book of Joshua you will see a cycle of sin that the Israelites fall into. It's basically an account of this never ending cycle of them rejecting God and coming back to him. Rejecting God and coming back. But through it all, God remains faithful. What a promise for us this morning. The work that Christ began in you, He will see through to completion. We just looked at Romans 8 together in a series a few weeks ago. Those who God called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He glorified. And those whom He uh, sanctified, and those whom He sanctified, He glorified. God is committed to saving his people. And over and over, we will be unfaithful and chase after other dead gods. But God will prove his faithfulness at the final crossing. God is sovereign. God is showing his people that he is sovereign. He controls nature and he controls human events. As we saw in Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. This is a promise to Israel, to us, that we have no need to fear. And we have no need of any other God. Yahweh is completely in control of all things. He is sovereign over the events of your life, over your circumstances, and he is good and faithful. Look at what he does here in verse 14 through 17. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. Imagine... This river is rushing. It's at the highest point of the year. And the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord step in. And immediately the water doesn't just stop at their feet. It pushes back upstream and begins to stack up in a heap to the north. And everything down below dries up. And the priests stand in the middle of the river, holding what symbolizes the very presence of God, as the whole nation of Israel walks by on dry ground. Don't miss that on dry ground. There was just water there, and we don't read that the that the priests kind of slug through. This wet dirt, mud, to get to the middle of the river. They walk in on dry ground, and all the Israelites cross on dry ground. This is a great miracle that is being done. So get out of your 21st century like naturalistic uh, logic and mindset, and recognize the great work that God is doing to show he has power over all the elements. There's nothing that this God can't do. He stopped the Jordan. And then he just stacks up the water in the sky. And imagine the sight if you're an Israelite crossing this river as the priests stand bearing the presence of God, holding the ark. And you see upstream water growing higher and higher because as it flows down from above, it just continues to stack up because God is holding it in place. The God we serve is sovereign. In whatever you're going through this morning, he's sovereign over that too. He is completely in control of your circumstances. And he loves you. And he is faithful to you. The promise of the crossing is the promise of a better Joshua who will lead his people into a glorious promised land forever. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is in the New Testament, if you're new to the Bible. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There are lots of fun scholarly theological arguments that you can read about who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we we don't know. He doesn't introduce himself. And so we're left to wonder who it might be. But in Hebrews 11, we have what we often call the Hall of Faith. Um, and, and it talks about every person who has put their faith in God since God called Abraham, not every person, every person that advances this story of the Bible. If you want a really good overview of the whole Bible, Hebrews 11 helps a lot to put things in perspective. So, so beginning verse, or in, in verse 1 of chapter 11, let's read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. age since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I love that the writer of Hebrews just talks about Abraham as good as dead. Um, Therefore, one man as good as dead had kids. What do you know? Um, And they were As many as the stars of the heaven, as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So what is this saying? So what we're going to find out as we continue to read through Joshua, the people actually go in, they take over the land, they have the promised land, but then later they're exiled again from the promised land. They walk in thinking, maybe this is it, Joshua, Yeshua, which, coincidentally, is also Jesus' Hebrew name. This is the guy. God is with him. This is the one who is promised, who will crush the head of the serpent. He's leading us into the promised land. We're going to get to live forever in the presence of God. And then they get overtaken and driven out of the land and taken into exile and so what the writer of Hebrews is telling us here, it's because this land was not the land that was actually promised. They're looking for a different city, a heavenly one. See, what, what God has really promised is a return to a better and more glorious Eden. Adam and Eve were exiled from Eden by God, and ever since then, God has promised that we will return to a glorious city that He is building. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, verse 17, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that even God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, or each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. And look down at 29. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. That's coming. After they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. By faith these people are looking for a city that is to come. And the promise of the crossing of the Jordan is the promise of a better Joshua, Jesus, who will lead his people into the glorious promised land forever. Imagine with me this picture, the priest standing with the presence of God in the middle of the river of death. If one person had stepped into that river without the presence of God there, they would have been swept away and killed. But God goes into the river and holds back the river of death. Jesus at the cross stands in the river of death taking the wrath of God on our behalf and we being in Christ might safely cross over into the promised land. This is pointing to Jesus over and over the stories of the Old Testament show us Jesus, just a small glimpse of what we will have in Christ. And the question this morning is, are you in Christ? Is God with you in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Christ? That he is the better Moses. He is the better Joshua. That he has stood in your place, taken the wrath of God that was meant for you. And by faith in him, you might safely cross over into the land that God has promised. If you don't know Christ, if you don't know what it means to have a relationship with him, hope this morning that you would ask someone around you that you would come find me. I'll be in the back. I'd love to show you how you can know Christ, how you can be found in him so that on the last day when the water of God's wrath is poured out on this world, you would be able to stand in Christ and be led into the promised land. He is faithful and he will do it. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness in Christ. We thank you for this story that reminds us that you are faithful to do what you said you will do. And that you are sovereign over all things to accomplish your purposes. God, I'm thankful for the reminder this morning that you are in the heavens and you do whatever pleases you. So God, we ask that you would save people this morning from sin and from death. Unite them in Christ and his death and burial. That we all might one day cross into the land you have promised us. A land where Jesus is on the throne. It's in his name we pray. Amen.